Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Bounce on its point, wow. The fakes, the gods are with the gods. I'd like to make you happy. Are we ready to do this? Yeah. <sighs> Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. Um, we are a couple <laughs> of ladies down. I'm Emma Race. I'm Kate Sear. I'm Nicole Hayes and this is where we go duh-duh. This is that's it's it. a half-baked quorum <laughs> where a ha- half, of a, half of a baker's dozen. That's right. It's going to be loose. Is that right? I don't know no. how much a baker's dozen is. Can it's I 13. Say that? 13. So yeah. we're um, about one-fourth. <laughs> Do you want me to tell you something that I realised this week? This is like when Felicity revealed that she had voted oh, yes. for the merger. The merger. Mm. Hello to Felicity. Hey there. We will talk about football, Traitor. but this is something I realised this week. You know the could have been champions? <laughs> we do know them, yes. I thought Greg Champion was called Greg Champion like Greg Wiggle is Greg from the Wiggles. Oh. I thought Champion was all of their surnames. <laughs> oh. And when did you find out that wasn't true? Yesterday when I Googled it. That's awkward. I was like, it's if your name is um, Nicole Sanctum. So did you think that could have been was the name of one of his children or something? (laughs) I just thought it was like Emma Wiggle, Lockie Wiggle, Greg Wiggle. Greg Champion, you know, I work Billy with, Champion. I work Emma with Race. someone whose surname is Champion. I reckon it's a great name. Could you it imagine? Oh, it's imagine, imagine what you would call your kids. But like, Imagine if I married greatest, someone. Greatest Champion. And my hyphenated surname could be Champion Race. <laughs> race, oh, race Champion. champion even, oh, better. even better. But also it sets up expectations. That's mm. the challenge is that That's you have true. to be a champion. Like and also if it. people saw you and said, hey, Champion, are they just calling you Hayes? Yeah. <laughs> Or they, they actually think you're a champion. Anyway, we digress. We are a little weary and we are, of course, ha- only half of, a, half of a quorum today. And even that's half again, really. And half again because we haven't had much sleep. We last night went to the Australian Football, Football Media, Media Association, Association Awards. Awards night. We did that really well together and... You're not going to believe it unless you've been following us on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, we won something and we are so shocked, shocked. so genuinely shocked. Um, and it wasn't like a Darwin Award. It no. was an actual real award. And it wasn't like because everyone else didn't show up. Like, yeah, I know. There, was other, there were other nominees. Other nominees. So the category that we won for was best coverage of the AFLW by an organisation. So the age got a special commendation and then they said, and the winner is the Outer Sanctum podcast, which is just shocking for us. But we, um, <laughs> of course, we did it all on our own. 
We've no help from anyone. I want to, I, it's like her Frances McDormand. I think she said that once yeah. when she won Academy Award or something. Um, but of course, we didn't do it on our own. This is the People's Award. And you know what? It's a little teeny, the award, the trophy is a teeny tiny replica of the AFLM Grand Final Trophy. It's very Premiership cool. trophy. Mm. Yes. And someone on Twitter did ask us about the size of the cup. They said, why is it that the AFLW award is teeny tiny? Assuming that people who won awards in the AFL-M categories had a much bigger cup, but they didn't. They were all teeny tiny, which was quite nice. Was that hmm. the query? Because I thought the query was that the AFL-W, because we won for AFL-W, that oh. it should have been a replica of the AFL-W oh, cup, look, not a replica of the AFL-M cup. That's an right. interesting question. This mm. is probably what happens when I've had about 30 seconds sleep and too many champagnes. <laughs> do you know what it did no make idea. me think of, and I might do this later, is it is so teeny tiny. Do you remember when Hawthorne won a grand final in like 1982? I think it was 83, 83. and they put the tip top um, bread in it. It was, do you remember that? Loads <laughs> when of bread. Dermot was, yeah. was sponsored Dermot, by them. Yeah. Yep. I feel like I could get those Coles minis and put them in that little tiny premiership cup that we've won and it would look the same. <laughs> yeah. It would just be like a mini version of it. That's so I'll get really some good. little loaves of bread later on and put them in there just <laughs> as, a, as a homage. Okay, so apart from winning the actual award and being among people who are not second-tier media. No. Um, the funniest thing, probably the best thing that happened last night <laughs> was this. Do you want to do, do you want to describe it, Kate? Yeah, sure. I'll give it a go. So early, this is going to sound very self-indulgent, but this is one of my happiest ever moments, I think. <laughs> Second only to when I did, as Emma knows, a quiz earlier in the week where I did a which West Wing character are you? Oh, who? And I got Josh Lyman <gasps> and I could not, I mean, I feel like my, I feel like my life has you reached just, its peak. You're done. I'm done. Um, Were you also a Hufflepuff? Can we just go back to this? Oh, uh, yes. Uh, well, I did two quizzes because I wasn't happy with my first result. Yeah, so I was right. Hufflepuff you and then the second it. time I was Gryffindor. Uh, and you're Ravenclaw. I'm Ravenclaw. And I'm proud of it, sort of. I, I, it was very, dis- <laughs> very unsettling to discover <laughs> I was Ravenclaw. If anyone who was at the awards last night <laughs> decides to listen to us today... Yeah, and go, no. let's find out they why they won Recount. that award. Recount. Yeah. They gave an award anyway. to this. Crap. Rubbish. Um, yes, they did. Um, so basically early in the night, we had the absolute pleasure of meeting Alistair Clarkson and uh, we had a, a quick chat to him and I sort of stood there sort of awkwardly and nervously and then we walked off and we t- like we talked to him for, you know, two, two minutes hmm. and then we, we were asked to all take our seats because the event was about to get underway and so we made our way to our table which was number 17 Brian Lake and we took a seat at our table and Lucy and I were sitting next to each other and then (laughs) from out of nowhere Clarko walked past us behind us making his way to his table which I think was number one Mm. and um and he he as he walked past he did a little squeeze of my shoulder and a little pat on the arm, like you m- might see him do to the boys in the dressing huddle. rooms. And in the after, huddle, maybe. In the huddle. Or after a win. You know, not like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. A little tight squeeze on the shoulder, like, I've got you skip. I'm with you. And then he did the same to Lucy. Uh-huh. And then he moved on. And Lucy and I were like, what just happened? What just I'm happened? basically in the team. Like I'm basically <laughs> now the, the skipper. Yeah. I've, been, I've been selected, yeah. which is unfortunate because Hawthorne aren't playing again this season. Mm. And then Lucy said to me that she's never washing her shoulder again, <laughs> <laughs> which will be a bit festy after a while. Let's, you be, know, let's be honest. She's a bit of a clean freak too. But so you know, be I, felt, a real challenge. I felt like we were really part of the yeah. team for mm. the first. And and I've, it also made me think that what I need in life is 
Alistair Clarkson mm. or a coach of similar standing, mm-hmm. just sort of following me around mm. at random moments in my life, events, dinners, just to give whatever, me the just to give me a bit of a pump up. Mm. Yeah. Kate stayed at my house last night and instead of going to bed at about 1.30 in the morning when we got home, we tried to replicate the Clarko shoulder <laughs> squeeze. So we had, and when I woke up this morning, there was still the kitchen chair out yeah, where we'd been we're practicing, re- running through the scenarios of how reenacting. reenacting. Yeah, anyway, it was okay. great. So it was great. So, but thank you so much. To that was you definitely guys. the highlight, wasn't it? Thank Amazing. you to you guys for listening mm-hmm. and for making this a community because um, it was uh, we felt like we were carried there on. Mm. Your wings, your wings. On your wings. We are the AFLW players who were so generous and so available and so much fun to work with on the show, weren't they? I mean, they just really just brought their A game every week. And they continue to be. Like, I feel like that we talk about AFLW all year round. Mm. Um, We are so lucky we get to still talk about the thing that we really love with amazing people, you know, yeah, we don't really talk best. to that many AFL M players. Hardly any, actually. Yeah, <laughs> I don't even know if we ever have. I don't know their names. X players, no. maybe one or two. <laughs> <laughs> AFL X players? No, we don't speak. <laughs> anyway, so let's carry on. There were some um, games that yeah, happened. Right. So that Collingwood GWS game was so fascinating and enthralling mm. and uh, the noise of the last of the two games that happened last weekend because mm. Hawthorne Melbourne those Melbourne supporters absolutely brought it. Yeah, I know that um, we got a few welfare check queries, mm. but we're fine. I think we're fine. Yeah, aren't we? and yeah. I just didn't bring it. And I've invested in the VFL, VFL and VFLW. Yeah. We've got a big weekend this weekend, so I'm yeah. I'm happy to go there. That's the future. But there was some omens. There were. Well, look, for the last couple of weeks, Lucy's been turning to cinema to see what movies of the past might tell us about the final series and how they might um, help us decide who it is that's going to win the finals. And so in Lucy's absence and in Lucy's honour, I just wanted to take a quick look at this weekend's two games in the AFLM. So first of all, Richmond versus Collingwood. And I've been inspired not just by cinema of the past, but by Musicals, musical cinema. So Richmond versus versus Collingwood, of course, this is a tale of two rivals, two gangs who share the same home turf and are engaged in a life or death battle for supremacy and to, to stake out that turf. It's Jets versus Sharks. Of course it is. Tony versus it is. Bernardo. It is West Side Story. And you are Maria. I am Maria. <laughs> And, of course, spoiler alert, so turn off now if you haven't seen (laughs) West Side Story. It ends in tragedy for Tony, who here, of course, is Alex Rance. So I predict that there will be an injury to Alex Rance, and I'm sorry to Tigers listeners, but I have to be faithful. Wow, that you went hard there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't ready for that. Why (laughs) is Tony Alex Rance? Because he's sort of like a tall, dark and handsome, Mm. clean-cut, clean-living guy, but who has a little bit of a... um, Asterisk against his name. Tony had Tony had previously been involved in the gang. You might remember, and, and also Alex, Alex Rance. Rance well, you know, there's always that criticism of him as maybe staging. So there's a uh, little bit. Okay. That's the parallel so in my mind. Right. Look, and if you it's haven't a seen a reach, Kate, but I'll go with it because <laughs> we're tired. If you have not seen the original West Side Story, Google it and have a look at Tony because it's basically Alex Rance. Okay, all right. Okay. Trust me on this. Yeah. So I predict that sadly there will be an injury to Alex Rance. Oh my goodness. Um, the other thing that happens in West Side Story is that no one really wins. 
Oh. The Jets and Sharks, uh, I think everyone loses in a way. So that suggests to me that there'll be a draw and over time. But in the end, I think the, the Jets do just get the edge. And so I think Richmond will win in an overtime thriller. Oh, I hope wow. so. That will okay. be amazing. And will there be 100,000 people there? I think so. Easily. It's Easily. amazing. I think so. It will be absolutely incredible. It'll be so loud. Actually, can they still get 100,000 there now? Well, I don't know because it was like 72,000 or something for the GWS um, Collingwood game. Of course, GWS doesn't have a huge supporter no. base in Victoria. But um, there was, what was there? There a, was a 90,000. Yeah. Yeah, I know they can get in the 90s, but I don't know where it caps uh, because. No, there's been 100,000 in recent years. Like, in recent years? Actually, because I'm a bit weird, yeah, I can no. tell you some of that. Like, for example, in the Hawthorne Geelong Grand final in 2008, there was 100,012 people. Right. I remember because so the they were we quite taken aback that it had tipped over 100,000 for the first okay. time in a while. Okay. And Is I that think... counting staff? <sighs> that's a good question. And good it doesn't call. count players. That's a good question. <gasps> yeah. I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's through the gate. Well, so, no. Liz Lucan, if you're listening, please let us know <laughs> the answer to that. We'll smoke I, her out. I don't know. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Yeah. Anyway, there's another game. Let yes, me quickly okay, preview that. that. Sorry to our listeners, this is really loose today. <laughs> so West Coast is playing Melbourne. Mm-hmm. So this is a classic tale of the underdog venturing into enemy territory against all odds, deeply unpopular with a completely one-sided home crowd. Mm. Gradually, though, of course, I think the unpopular underdog can gain respect and overcome all odds and triumph. So for me... West Coast versus Melbourne is Greece. And Nathan Jones is pure Sandra D. Oh my god. Isn't gosh, he? Isn't yes. Greece just West Side Story Light? No, because West Side no. Story is Romeo and Juliet. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah. But and no, it, maybe it is light, it like is three light generations light. of light light. Yeah. I was gonna yeah. say, and it doesn't end in tragedy, but I guess that depends on how you feel about Olivia Newton John's yeah. get up at the end and whether you feel that that, that was, was trading okay or not. It was completely yes. selling out feminism. Was it a win yes. for camel toes yeah. or was it a loss <laughs> for camel toes? <laughs> it was definitely a loss of feminism oh, anyway. God. Well look, I hope there's she no camel toes great. on display. I'm not questioning that she, she looked did. Great. She yeah. did. But what is she trying to tell us about that? Yeah, there's I mean some feminist questions. I'll tell you what she was trying to tell you. Tell me about it, Stud. That's all she had to oh, say. You've stolen my thunder. Sorry, oh, Katie. <laughs> anyway, Nathan Jones is pure Sandra D. And in the end, Melbourne will be singing You're the One They Want. Ooh, 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 honey. <laughs> as long as there's no flying car, because that really oh, that annoys me about that musical it's so. Chitty, chitty, bang, bang. <laughs> Disappointing. Yeah. It's the worst mashup of all time. Mashup. It's West Side Story meets Chitty Chitty Bang Bang meets Mary Poppins meets Senator. Are we okay to move on to the melee? We best. Can three women who've had three hours sleep between them actually melee? No. No. Okay. If we get on a train at Perth Stadium (laughs) at 100 miles an hour. Okay. Let's roll up our sleeves and melee because there was the most unbelievable thing that we saw in the sample on the weekend. And this was off the back, Kate, um, on our radio show on the weekend. We're talking about sportsmen and sportswoman-like behaviour. Yes. And what would you do? What lengths would you go to to win? Yeah. And then look what happened in the sample. Can you run us through it? Yeah. Let me just reiterate to anyone who wasn't listening to our radio show, we talked a bit about this story in um, in Sydney women's footy where the Southern Power women's AFL team had 
been in the rooms at halftime, not heard the siren because they said there were loud fans and other noise, so didn't come out of the change rooms in time. The umpires decided to commence play. The opponents, Auburn Penrith, were on the field and said, "Okay, well, we'll play on unopposed and kicked a goal. And as it turned out, that was the difference. And so it got us talking about, you know, what do you do in that situation where you've sort of won in questionable circumstances? But Spoiler alert, Nicole Hayes said she would have taken the goal. (laughs) (laughs) I said in the heat of the moment, it would have been hard to talk me out of it. Yeah, white I would line not. fever. I would have I would waited for my opposition. And I would have felt bitter and I would have felt ashamed, but I probably would have played on. <laughs> I would have. It's really, it's really complicated though, it you is. know, because you kind of think, what do you do? And but- that is why you're Ravenclaw. <laughs> <laughs> it is true. But also, can I just clarify, that was me in my younger years. I wouldn't do that now, but as a young competitive athlete, I definitely would have taken the win. Yeah. Well, a similar dilemma has played out, as you said, Em, in the Sandful this week over in South Australia. So um, North Adelaide played Woodville West Torrens in the preliminary final, and it was a really close game, playing obviously for a spot in the grand final against Norwood. In the end, North Adelaide won by five points. They came back from 47 points down. So um, an incredible game. But as it then transpired we learnt that North Adelaide had had 19 players on the field during the early part of the last quarter and they had scored during that time. Um, Now, my understanding of it is that some of their their opponents, Woodville West Torrens, noticed that there were 19 on the field and tried to bring it to the attention of umpires. But the rule is that the captain of the team must ask the umpires for a head count if they think there are too many players on the field. And the captain of Woodville West Torrens did not ask the umpire. He didn't get the message, right? He I didn't mean, get no. the message, yeah. yeah. And and by the time, you know, everyone sort of realised what was going on, um, normal sort of, you know... Programming? Programming, that's <laughs> it. Resumed. Normal programming had resumed. Um, so it was referred to the Sandful Tribunal and huge stakes because it was a grand, there's a grand final spot in play. For a former judge called Michael David QC sat on the tribunal and it was the, almost the longest, has to be almost the longest tribunal hearing in history. It went for more than five hours, which is quite extraordinary. Now, the options before uh, Michael David QC were fining um, North Adelaide up to a maximum of $10,000, losing, stripping them of some premiership points or reversing the result. And in the end, he decided to dock them some premiership points for next year and to find them the full $10,000. He noted that the rule requires the captain to call for the head count, as I mentioned, and it was interesting because he said that that rule now seems anachronistic and out of um, step with, you know, modern technology and everything like that. The idea that the captain has to work it out and call, call for the head count just seems like it has to be looked at. But he also said that he felt a rematch would have been the most appropriate penalty, but that he didn't have the power to award it. And he felt that reversing the result entirely was maybe too harsh a sanction. And so I'm wondering what you both think. What mm. what do you think should be the rule? And what do you think should be the result in that situation? Because it's so fraught. It's so hard either way. It, it is complicated, isn't it? I think the fact that they established it while the game's still in play is really important. And... For me, anything to do with um, sort of rules and, and, and messing with rules where the game is still in, in play is when you need to make the, um, the impact immediate or else it, there is no disincentive. And so one of the things that I think, it's not a rule that was an option I, as far as I know, but um, that 
you know, a 50 metre penalty in that moment would give the opposition an opportunity to shoot for goal. And that is a significant and important and proportional response, I think, to having an extra player for a few minutes that count, you know, that actually scores a goal. So if you were able to do it in the moment, that would be my ideal. Retrospectively, it's a lot harder, isn't it? Mm, I think it's problematic for me that they knew about it, that mm. people in the vicinity of the game knew about it while it was happening, but there was a protocol that instead of um, fixing the situation, made the situation more difficult, mm-hmm. that that was actually an impediment to getting a fair yeah. um, kind of result. I'm going to throw a curveball in here. Hmm. A cynic may say that it's better for the competition that North Adelaide got through to, to the granny because they have more supporters Ooh. and they will take more money on the gate. Oh, are you suggesting that had the it been the reverse, there might have been a different outcome? I don't know. What do you think, Nicole? <laughs> this is your story. I'm but. not suggesting anything of the sort. No, no. I'm just saying. What's football, the we know we know mm. sport is political. We know that um, people, lots of teams are struggling. I'm not suggesting that it was a weighted decision, but it would have been a very unpopular decision mm. to go the other way. My issue is that I think you, that the QC is right. It's a really archaic um, system it of. Or the rules that are in place don't seem at all appropriate. I don't think losing premiership points after these people have possibly celebrated a grand final win and a mad Monday and not come back to play for the team Mm. next year. Like what's the incentive for new members to come to the team and play two games where they're going to – because they lose four premiership points, but that's across two games Mm because you only get two per win. Um, I I think that's – I don't understand that. Mm. I also don't really understand, I have to say, the financial – um, sanction because mm-hmm. it wasn't on purpose. Mm. It was an error. Like no one, no one kind of plots to put nineteen people on the field. Like it was an error by, you know, the interchange. Yeah, obviously. And yeah. so I feel like it needed to be dealt with right then and there. Yeah. I would have thought that a really fair and proportional response would have either been, I like the fifty meter penalty. Mm. I think that's quite good because four minutes. Maybe maybe there's some kind of like um, Duckworth Lewis system where depending on how long they've been out on the yeah, field right. for, yes. you get a certain number of 50-metre penalties or something. Right. Or, But I would have thought if they had realised it in the moment mm. that they should have started the clock again and played the last quarter. And I know that's not in the rules, but mm-hmm. maybe that's something that they should look at playing the Just last quarter again. That because time. I was mm. talking to Nathan Burke recently. He played in the game um, St Kilda versus Essendon when the lights went out at Waverley Park. And because there was still time left in that game... And the lights went out. They couldn't play and people started running on the field and being crazy and destroying stuff. Um, what the AFL, what the VFL probably was back then decided to do was to come back and play the remainder of the game on a Tuesday night, on mm. the following Tuesday night. But what happened is there was players who had played their guts out and then they got to bring in new people. James Hurd hadn't played on the weekend but came in and kicked like, I don't know, a bag of goals. Mm. And so it was an uneven advantage. It's a different match. It's a completely different match. So I think if you can, in the eye of the moment, Mm. um, kind of try and and do something really fair in that moment, you need to obviously have all of the pillars of that in place. But it's interesting to see the AFL actually kind of role-played and Mm. use that as a modelling tool to look at what they would potentially do if it happened. I feel like it would be very unlikely in the AFL because they run that interchange really, really tight. tight. And yeah. they have huge, like it's a huge responsibility because there's huge sanctions if I, you if you do it. But, absolutely. Um, but I was intrigued. I thought that was a really good It's um, also foresight. kind of ridiculous that it's up to the captain 
to do that. I mean, they've kind of got other things to do. I feel like that's an umpiring or a coaching. Yeah. You know, anybody who's from the sidelines is in a much better position to be able to do that. So I'm, I'm not under. I don't know why they haven't updated that. Yeah, yeah. Or you need an emergency umpire. Mm. I mean, the only issue with dealing with it on the spot, which I agree is is best, because I think there are real problems with delaying a penalty or a sanction until next season, is that by the time you realise or call it to the umpire's attention, um, somebody might come off the ground and the situation might be um, annulled in a way. So you might go from 19, they quickly come back off. And unless you have video technology and the capacity to look at replays and so on at that point and to have a vision of the whole ground, you may not be able to work it out. And I think in the sandfall that was not an issue because they did have clear vision of 19 players on the ground. But in some competitions it could be a challenge. Um, It's such an interesting and and complex one. One of the most disappointing aspects of it to me has been seeing some of the social media fallout. I know... um, you know, supporters of both teams felt really, really stressed and concerned in the lead up to the tribunal decision. And I've seen lots of stuff on social media accusing North Adelaide of being cheats and really, really vitriolic Mm. abuse hurled at the players and all the officials, which I think is extremely unfair because there's no evidence that it was um, a deliberate thing at all. And it just kind of um, aligned in my mind with something I listened to during the week. I recently listened to a uh, an episode of a podcast called Desert Island Discs, which we've talked about on this show before. And it's about 18 months old, but it was an, an interview with um, David Beckham. And it's really worth listening to because one of the things that David Beckham talks about is an incident in um, the World Cup where he very famously received a red card and it was, you know, hugely controversial. Um, and he said he sort of talks about it from a personal perspective and what it was like to have your fellow country men and women really come down hard on you mm. after you'd made a mistake. In that case, it was much more intentional and deliberate than what we were talking about here. But just, he, you know, he said that he received bullets in the mail, death threats. His elderly grandparents were hounded, constantly harassed, family members threatened, um, and just that really hearing those personal stories, I think really keeps things in perspective. Like mm. let's mm. not get carried away and mm. be personal or attacking to these players because, you know, a mistake was made. It's not ideal. It's kind of like a f- bit of a lose-lose situation for everyone concerned, but really. And get, I think it also it. raises that question of what is the point? We, you know, we reference this in on the radio show, but what is the point of competitive sport if sportsmanship isn't part of that, it isn't this idea of the spirit of the game? And, you know, um, I turned to a friend of the pod, Aristotle. For <laughs> He's banging up. He loves a podcast. Long time listener, first time caller, Aristotle. Go through, go ahead, caller. And uh, American philosopher Tim Madigan also is um, <laughs> is a big fan of Aristotle. No, and of, of the pod. And of the pod. And he looked at this notion of, uh, Aristotle looks at this notion of ethical training um, and that uh, it's about this notion of, personal excellence and Madigan says that personal excellence is intricately connected to social activities and sport being a prime example of that Um, and it's about this struggle to be one's best which requires respect for one's opponent and a genuine struggle against a worthy adversary um, is the only way to truly understand your own ability, um, this theory of virtue ethics. Are you still with me? 
yeah. glazing over. No. Totally. So the question that he comes to in the end is how can you know your ability if you've won by deception or creating um, or cheating or a lesson worthy means? Um, and I also, uh, another f- friend of the pod, Colby Donaldson from Survivor. <laughs> <laughs> Long time listener. <laughs> Long time listener. Mm, first time caller. Um, he. I don't know if anyone can remember, but going back a million years to the second season of Survivor in the Australian Outback, he chose to take his worthy opponent, Tina, to the jury. To the final two. Yeah, to the final two, instead of going for the guy that he more than likely would have won against, whose name I've forgotten. Um, now, in this instance, Colby lost. So maybe not the ideal, but he has, you know, uh, earned a lot of kind of kudos. And, and you're credit. still talking about him. And I'm still talking about him. Yeah. Maybe nobody else is, but um, I just think it's interesting to think about this notion of the opponent. Can I throw that out, given that <laughs> Aristotle... Throw that out. Throw <laughs> that in the bin. No, that I'm not throwing it in the bin. I'm going to throw this out there, that I think that you might have just happened upon, you've just stumbled across, and I'm fairly sure by complete accident, um, Thanks, kind sir. of, no, kind of the inherent um, concerns that people have with conferencing for the AFLW mm. is that if you haven't come up against all of the opponents, mm-hmm. how worthy are you as a winner? Oh, no, I meant that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. No, that's a really valid point. So I've just said something really astute. Mm. Can I now ask you this? When you picture Aristotle, is he wearing a toga? Absolutely. And and a wreath. Yeah, and the wreath, yeah. But I think that I'm mixing up different. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) You might be thinking of Socrates. (laughs) Well, I'm thinking Mm. Caesar, maybe. What do you think Aristotle's wearing? Oh, I think Aristotle's wearing some sandals and a, and a toga. Mm. I don't know if that's right or not. I think it's the Roman thing is the head. He's definitely not wearing double denim. I'm going to have to Google that while we're <laughs> while we're waiting. Um, yeah. Can I just say, I mean, you said at the top of the show, Em, that you people who saw us win that award last night <laughs> might decide to tune in today for the first Oops. time to see what it was all about. Don't. And what Don't. I want to say to them is this is, I mean, where else do you get two great thinkers of our time, Aristotle and Colby Donaldson. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Brought together with Nicole. with Australia's greatest game. Right. No, it's this ma- is not the kind of made in heaven. This is not the kind of quality coverage you get anywhere it's else. It's the kind of Venn diagram you want to get a tattoo of. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. If Who you're... knew that there was an Aristotle and Colby Donaldson Venn diagram together at we last? We are going to lose our jobs. <laughs> that's what's going to happen here. Okay, I wanted to give you an update on you know how much I love the Wayne Ludby photo of Nikki Winmar. And, and hi, Wayne, hi who Wayne, was there last night. And who also won also an award. Won. Bless Wonderful. Wayne. And Wayne was an early guest on the pod, so he's also, yeah. he, like Aristotle, is a friend of the pod. <laughs> um, and so there was a push earlier, uh, a couple, uh, I think at the start of the year, they were crowdsourcing some um, funds and then the AFL tipped in as well to get a statue made of Nicky Winmar in his um, stance, holding up his jumper and pointing to his um, skin or pointing to his heart or however it was skin, yeah. There is some conjecture about Mm, the way that that rolled out and what exactly the moment was, but the moment has become... Iconic. Iconic and amazing. racism. And it's the most beautiful statue. I posted a picture of it on Instagram. You'll probably be able to find it. There was an article in the Age newspaper about it. Um, But so far the statue is almost ready to go, but it hasn't found a home. And what's really interesting is there was early talk about it being at Victoria Park and then people thought that wasn't appropriate because that's kind of where it happened. 
um, and there was a bit of hostile territory perhaps. Um, and then there's been a push with the new Perth Stadium for it to go there because being a proud Noongar man, um, Nicky Wimmer had said that expressed that he would like it to be on that land. Um, but there seems to be an issue because um, the administrators of Perth Stadium believe that there's other um, Indigenous players who took stands against racism that need to be recognised before this is potentially recognised, so Polly Farmer and Barry Cable. And, you know, when I first read the story, I was thinking... You know, statues have been a really big topic mm. this year and especially, you know, with the, the money given to the new Captain Cook statue mm. and um, and I know that Angela Pippos has got an amazing um, campaign going to try and recognise female sports people as well with statues. And I don't know really know what I think about statues. What I know is that I love this one of Nicky Wimmer and um, what's interesting is we debate so often whether or whether football is political or sport is political, but what's happened here is this has become a really political um, football. Football, mm-hmm. yeah, it has, and so that and one of the reasons why they can't quite decide on where to put it is because I think it is really confront confrontational. It's mm. a real, it marks a real moment. It's not just saying um, sport is about what happens on the field; it's about what happens off the field. So when you look at the statues that are around the MCG, the thing that they all have in common is that the, the achievements of those people are attributed to yeah, on that. The field. Field, yeah. yeah. So I was thinking of other places that I would like to see the Nicky Winmar statue. And I was thinking out the front of Parliament House. That would be fantastic. But having said that, land and association with the land is yeah. so important um, to Indigenous pe- Indigenous people that it needs to be a reflection of what is appropriate the, yeah, for the them traditional and, and the traditional owners like. and mm. and for what the, that person's story is. So where I had originally read that article and I thought, oh, come on. Can't we just have this statue? Like we want to be able to represent and, you know, we want to see a change in the way that um, statues are kind of handed out because they are an honour. Um, I now think it is going to take some time to mm. work out exactly what you the most right, appropriate place is. Mm. Yeah, because I think place is actually incredibly important part of this statue and the story um, where I hadn't really thought about it before. So... Watch this space. Yeah. Yeah. What's interesting to me is the fact that this is being perceived to be uh, kind of confrontational, as you said, Em, or political, um, when in fact all statues are political in a way. You know, they're they're all infused with politics. I think we know that increasingly as debates have ensued in in this country in recent years about statues uh, of Captain Cook and what they mean um, and why they might be problematic. There are similar debates happening in other parts of the world, particularly in um, Bristol, Mm -hmm. where there's an ongoing discussion about um, uh, Cecil Rhodes and the Rhodes Scholarship and statues of him, given his um, personal history. Um, and yeah, I mean, all, you know, if you you just have to walk around any major city, even, Mm. even smaller cities, but particularly major cities anywhere in the world and see who it is that's recognized, who those statues are of and what they are for and what the plaques say, Mm. um, they do something. And I know that, and what I mean by that is that they have effects in, in the world. They kind of constitute our history and they, they don't necessarily simply or easily reflect history, Mm. they are part of the process by which a kind of narrative, an historical narrative is created and perpetuated. And the silencing or omission of certain people, you know, particularly women and particularly Indigenous figures in this country, the fact that there's a, um, a, a, a lack of 
statues of women, sporting figures, Indigenous figures, does something because mm. it obscures that history in it. Uh, and it was interesting. I was watching a, a program the other day with my partner about um, the history of the Eureka Stockade. And it made me think of Claire Wright, who many people will know as a, a woman in this country who's an historian and who wrote a very important, um, well-recognised, highly um, acclaimed book about women's role in the Eureka Stockade, which was not recognised and is not part of history. And those women don't have statues to them, but played a really vital role in that rebellion mm. and therefore in the history of this nation. And um, and that that's what I would like us to kind of hold in mind as we talk about Nicky Winmar, not sort of say that there's something unique about his the idea of of having this statue somewhere to him because it's equally as political as any other statue, and in fact more important that it be that that it be up. Yeah, we can't forget that it was the statue of Robert E. Lee, um, the Confederate general, being um, challenged that was one of the prompts for the Charlottesville riots, which well, you know it was really really significant part of American history, very recent history, yeah. and a really big conversation. It's interesting that um, there's yeah so. It's, there's been a lot of talk about statues this mm. year. One thing that um, I would urge you to do is in Angela Pippos's book, Breaking the Mould, she has this amazing chapter where she talks about all the things that are named after men in all of the stadiums around this country. And um, she's trying to really up the ante and, and she started a campaign to get a statue for Betty Wilson, who was an extraordinary cricketer. And um, I feel like she's getting there. So if you don't already, please follow Angela Pippos. And if you haven't read the book, read Breaking the Mould. There's this just awesome chapter. It comes back to me every time mm. I'm at the MCG and I'm walking past, you know, all of the names of bars and mm. seats and stands mm. and statues all named after men, apart from Betty Cuthbert, who I give a little high five to. It's Do also you... a great read, just like oh, flat it's out. Great it's book. really compelling. Yeah. I was just going to say too, I feel one day if, if anything's ever to be named after any of us, I think one of the toilets in the MCG, maybe like the number oh, five definitely. toilet will be named mm. after you, M. Emma Race, the mm. Emma Race throne. Lucy gets number two. <laughs> yep. She does get number two, which is a double meaning. It's hilarious. Mm. Um, Kate Sear revealed that if she was to be remembered for anything, that she would like to be remembered for being the first person to coin the phrase mm. AFLM. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. You totally it's own that. that was I feel really you. I feel really this is an important mm. contribution that I would like acknowledged. So if she wants a Wikipedia page <laughs> that says Kate Dr. Kate Sear was Can the somebody first. Can get on that? Yeah. Now? No, I just want it to be I want it to take off. I really mm. do want it to take off. I'm quite serious about it. I think it's extremely important because um, I mean, we've talked about it a lot on this show, but I think, you know, again, seeing on the weekend, seeing stuff about the VFL final coming up and then the VFL women's, mm. just that language is so jarring to me that mm. the kind of default is that the male game is standard, the, the standard, the real and then there's mm. another one. Yeah. Mm. So I it matters really, a lot. I really mm. meant to say that last night when I was up on stage giving our thank mm. you speech. I wanted to say AFLW and then say AFLM. Yes. And I got really scared. Yeah. <laughs> I oh. thought that it was a room that yeah. might have booed stuffed me. Stuffed it. Oh, no, they wouldn't have booed me. <laughs> they but wouldn't have understood. They would have no, they would have. They would have really understood. And I think they would have gone like, oh, they would have eye-rolled mm. so hard. <laughs> well, if you're a listener and you like the language of AFLM, Lose, use it whenever you can in your workplace to your friends. Let's Very do, empowering. Let's, let's and start a Wikipedia a page about <laughs> Kate, Kate Sear. Kate Sear. And Assistant a campaign for the, for the number 
um, no. number no, five toilet. Like maybe not the toilet. I feel like you might be remembered for Omen Watch. I'm sorry to say. Mm. Or marking at the highest mark. Point. Point. (laughs) Something like that. Nicole Hayes, there was an explosive article that was released on the weekend. Yes, there was. Um, It was in the monthly and then reported again in the age by uh, Wendy Carlyle. And it raised quite a few questions around concussion, which has been, you know, on in conversation a lot, uh, particularly this year, but for some years now. Um, And what it did is it asked whether the AFL is doing all it can to address the growing concerns and significant significant gaps in knowledge around um, concussion and the links to CTE and other neurological dysfunction um, in later life. It also raised some questions about how reliable club reporting of concussion statistics are, quoting former Sydney Swans club doctor Nathan Gibbs, who claimed um, that the AFL wasn't counting everything or that the the numbers weren't reliable. Um, And it drew attention to the comments by Professor Paul McQuarrie, who played down concerns around US research that linked concussion and head trauma to CTE. And Professor McQuarrie is part of the AFL's concussion advisory group, who also established the AFL concussion policy. So we're going to get into this in more detail later on, but it's a really interesting um, article that I encourage everyone to have a look at and and also the the age follow-up. It's a really long article, mm. the monthly. Take your time. Mm. Yeah, I read it on my mobile phone. <laughs> Don't do Lucky it on it wasn't on my Nokia. No. <laughs> <laughs> Would have taken a very long time. But um, it's a very complicated article and it's very... Um, dense. Challenging. Dense. It's challenging and controversial? potentially controversial. Mm. Yeah. So we're going to take some time mm. to re uh, read through it and mm. to have a look at um, what's been said about it. Yes. And we hope you will too because it's, um, it's pretty explosive stuff. You recently caught up with Damien Callanan, who is an, a comedian, writer and amazing all-round guy who was revealed when he came in that he is the uncle of Nikki Callanan, who plays for the Bulldogs. Oh, wow. And I have often um, wondered if they were related because it's not a totally usual surname. And I thought, I'm just one of those people that would ask the question because <laughs> I'm a footy nerd, but it turns out it's true. Good guess, Em. Yeah. Yeah, we, uh, Alicia and I had a chat with Damien about um, who's the writer and star of the new delightful and funny Australian film called The Merger. And that's about a small town footy club that recruits the help of local refugees to save the club from a merger. Damien, it's great to have you here. Thanks for great coming in. Great to be here. Now, I, I'm going to say up front, it's a delightful film. I, I giggled and, you know, I also unexpectedly cried, but I laughed a lot and it's just, it was a joy to watch. So congratulations first off. Thank you. So how did the idea of the story come to you? Um, originally, because it's based on a solo show I did. Um, which which I, was, I saw. Yeah. Oh, you saw it. Oh, there you go. Yeah. You're one of the few. <laughs> no, there's, well, not the few, but I was performing in really intimate venues for about six years. Uh, originally, I was commissioned by Reg Lance Victoria and Vic Health to write a show about racism to um, address the sort of physiological and emotional effects of racism in, in regional towns. But I was given no brief, literally just kind of one of those rare occasions in the arts where I was just kind of like slipped a wad of cash and said, go away and oh create, God. and was not interfered with, but largely because I think sometimes, I think Vic Health forgot it was happening, to be honest, but... <laughs> It was about two Sorry, years later Gerald when the show was really successful and I'd, won, I'd been nominated for the Barry Award at the Melbourne Comedy Festival that they went, oh, hang on. That, what, what, right. what? What was that? It was like that um, plant that they'd potted two years ago in a greenhouse and realised that it was breaking through the glass. So, um, I think you just described the outer sanctum. I did, yeah. 
Um, anyway, that that's how it started. Um, and I already had a the uh, template of a show called The Sportsman's Night, which was about the Bodger Creek Roosters. So Roderick Poole, who was working at RAV at the time, he kind of hinted backwards and said, mate, you've already got the characters. Don't don't think you've got to reinvent the wheel. Um, and it didn't take long after that. I kind of came up with the idea. And Troy Carrington, who's the character at the heart of it, who I play, um, was a character I'd been doing for a while. And he just kept adding dimen- dimensions, kept being added to him. Um, essentially a humanist in a football club. So, yeah, it sort of seemed to be a logical conclusion that Troy, who, you know, his previous iterations had been talking about doing, you talk about footy trips at Sportsman's Night, but he was doing the Mozart trail from Prague to Vienna. And <laughs> of course he was. Grueling aromatherapy <laughs> sessions up in Dalesford. And um, so it, it just seemed logical that Troy would go, oh, how can I solve two problems at once? So the refugee uh, issue came in. So sadly, the story is still as prescient as it was in 2010. In fact, people keep saying, wow, this is so timely. I think it is in some ways more timely because we are desperate for a positive message around it and in an unlikely place of a regional country footy club. So um, sadly, yeah, it's it's continued to be timely and that's why the screen bodies really got behind it. Not just because of the idea, they, they like the quality of the script and so on. Mm. But So, yeah, that's how it started and this is where we are. Well, Bodgy Creek, when you did your characters on stage, I mean, you had sock puppets. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> how do you then go from something like the stage to take it to, uh, talk, you know, talking to all the characters? Look, it's it's kind of interesting. We, we, we worked very closely and I, when I say we, I mean Mark Grentel, the director, and I. He came and saw the play in early 2013 and we just worked together on his previous feature Backyard Ashes. I was an actor and did a little bit of writing assistance uh, around my character. So we had a good working relationship but we were very, we realised there was already a heart there, uh, a beating heart and good jokes around it. We just had to like, um, we had to expand out. So I mean I had to learn how to write a screenplay for a start. Um, But yeah, always keeping that in mind meant that we, we never got too far away from the original brief, um, and it was actually really fun to. Some of the characters were just alluded to in the live shows, so mm. you know, Fran and Neville, um, most of the players, most of the refugee guys were just right. alluded to. I couldn't play all of them, uh, <laughs> and of course, there was no love interest in a one man yeah, show. Yeah. So we're <laughs> wow. able to. We're, we're, one of the things we were really keen to do that, even though it's a very um, it, the masculinity and versions of masculinity are very much at the heart of it, was to put strong women into it. So the role played by Kate Mulvaney, um, Angie, she is the one running the refugee support centre in the town and she's kind of, in my mind, she's kind of the beating heart of the film, mm. um, understatedly. But so, yeah, that, that was really, it was really fun to kind of like make them make them real and see how they interacted. And also, even though it's a large ensemble cast, that this film is very much about um, not projecting identity onto people and even the local footballers all have a, a string to their bow that you wouldn't expect. Yeah. You know, the, the giant the giant ruckman who does dark art to cope with Fantastic. his ended marriage and um the 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 snapper, the you know, the kind of humble fool who is also just a gifted chemist. And then all the refugees as well. There's there's civil engineers and mm. so um that was that was the aim was to make all the characters multi multi dimensional and um not stereotyped so that, I mean, it, in in essence, the refugees' problem is that we just throw them all into one yeah, basket. basket yeah. And uh, the film is to 
it attempts to create characters that you, you can no longer just throw the tropes at. Is footy a part? Was footy a big part of your life? Is that why yeah. you you gravitated towards using footy as a vehicle for this story? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, I talked about the the, the genesis of it, so I kind of already had the creation there. I mean, you write you write best about the world that you know, and I've played I played competitive footy till I was about thirty, and played country footy, and um, it's, it was a great backdrop for this, but also write a lot about regional Australia. Even though I'm from the city, my family lived in the country till just before I was born. Dad was a teacher and kept getting placed. So I have a great affection for regional Australia. And I think a smaller town was a better backdrop for this. Mm. Um, the influx of refugees in a small town makes a bigger impact in a small town. So it can go either way. It can go pear-shaped more quickly or it can, um, uh, you know, flower beautifully as well i mean in a small country town you know they're talking at the pub if a redhead physio turns up in town mm. like that that's how that's how micro um they are about change so it was just a, it was just a much better dish to serve it on a small town like bodgy creek and, and every and everyone's town everyone thinks it's their town now, the Bodger Creek Roosters have a recognisable yet unrecognisable team song. Tell us how that came, how did you come to write the song? Well, it's just a... It's a great song. It's, yeah. the, it's the Richmond theme song, yeah. which we all agree, doesn't matter what, best one. what scarf best you're wearing. It is easily the best song. Um, and so that was always... Yeah, it was always the song in the um, in the live show as well. So And it's and it's really fun hearing the audience respond to it <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the crowd and... The rooster's colours are maroon, blue, and white. So you can try <laughs> to cram that in there. Maroon, maroon blue, and white. Can you do the song? Yeah. Let's hear. Let's I'm hear. from Bodgy Creek. We are the roosters and its flags we seek. In any weather, you will see us with a grit, grit, rifling through the bin, bin. Fighting, 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 fight, but rarely ever win. Oh, we're from Bodgy Creek. We're never beaten till the final. Cock, cast, coat, cuckadoo. We're the roosters of old. We're fat and we're bald. Oh, we're from Bodgy. Maroon, blue, and white. Oh, we're from Bodgy Creek. <laughs> That's fantastic. It's so it's been so much fun singing that on the red carpet. Yeah. So here we're at Miff just, you know, standing outside. It was it was so Melbourne, it was, you know, August and the the, the rain was glinting on uh, on Lonsdale Street and then we just broke into the club theme song. Very Melbourne International. Forty jumpers being thrown to the ground. Nothing so uniting as a singing your club no. song, no. is there? Everybody knows it. It's interesting that um a previous club I used to play for Whitefriars Old Collegians. Um the first time I played for them, and that's what I love about when you play your first game for a club, just the ticks in the song, like the and all those like the cuckadoo and all that stuff was just invented by the cast when we started <laughs> learning it. It was so good, it just became. By the time we actually sang it for the first time in the film, it felt like all of those people had been singing it their whole lives. <laughs> and um, the Faisal Bazi bit, did he yes, write that? Bit? Yes. So I always had that in the script that that character writes it in Arabic, but I. <laughs> Hadn't got around to getting it translated. And Faisal just did it because he speaks fluent Arabic. Um, Faisal's been – Faisal is half Syrian, half Lebanese, but his mother um, – he still speaks Arabic with his mum. So he just learnt it. And then uh, for the finale, we only sing part of it in Arabic, but there's this beautiful transition where it goes from Arabic back into English. Mm. Um, and it's just delightful. Yeah. So. I have to ask about the footy, though. So in terms of – I've attempted in the past to um, recreate fake football, you yeah. know, uh, scenes for various film projects. And it's a beast of a thing oh, to do. Yeah. So when you put out the casting call, did you, were footy talent, was footy talent a request or did they have to learn on the job? How'd it go? Um, look, fortunately, 
I mean, you, the main thing is is acting and comedy first. Um, we did. There was a couple of people that we asked to just show us a tape of you kicking the footy. <laughs> <laughs> um, Faisal was probably the one that we had to kind of get right because he had to be believe that he was athletic enough to transition, mm. but also. He, he kind of works really well because unless you've grown up with a footy on the yeah. end of your foot, you can't... Kick it exactly right. Yeah, yeah even if you look at, you know, McKenna for, um, uh, for Essendon, he kicks the ball in a very distinctive yeah. way because um, he grew up as a gully too, footballer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so... Um, but he was athletic enough to be able to pull it off. Um, I, ironically, Josh McConville, who plays the shittest player, <laughs> uh, yeah. he's actually probably the, one of the more gifted... <laughs> He's a rugby union player, but he's just really athletic and uh, he's a brilliant clown. Like, he's one of Australia's great stage actors. Josh, right. He's played Hamlet and uh, he's just divine. But so his clowning skills, like, it's hilarious when he does the, the kind of the smack, smash the ball under your foot kick. I do that a lot. It's yeah. great. Yeah, but so, not on purpose, though, Alicia. That's so we didn't, have to, we didn't have to really hide anyone. And, and we, we haven't overdone the footy scenes in it. Mm. Most of the footy scenes are kind of dialogue driven. Or mime. Or, mi- or mime. <laughs> the mime yeah. was gold. Yeah. And thankfully, like this is, if you're talking about lower tier leagues, the Caxton Valley <laughs> League is as low as lower tier as you can get. All the teams of amalgamations. You can't see that they're all on this, um, the pub wall, but uh, some of them you can't see, including Kangalang, Malatungi, Mummering. There's not enough movies about AFL. I love sports I movies. I'm so glad that Damien has made this movie. What's your favourite sports movie? I know I'm putting you on the spot. Do We've you have talked one? about this. Either Field of Dreams or mm. Remember the Titans. Yeah, I, I, we do the TV, Friday Night Lights. Yep. Nothing oh, better. Yes. But you said movies. I know, I know. But I cheated. <laughs> I'm making up the now she would have, now, she would have cheated. She would have cheated. That's Ravenclaw behaviour. <laughs> what what's yours? I find it hard to go past documentaries. Can I include those? No. So boring. Okay. No. Okay. So Don't. boring. You always do that to me. Oh. It's um, got to be fiction. You're always trying to find wriggle room in the law. <laughs> <laughs> you don't, don't even know. like movies. Look, don't you like don't them. even like sports movies. That, <laughs> I couldn't say anything <laughs> more hurtful like to you. I do. I don't even I like sport. This is all a fake. The whole thing. Field of Dreams, I think, is a really, really good it's a film. But I feel on the spot. I'll come back to you next week. Uh, you I need what? to spend some time. Uh, Honourable mention... Uh, League of Our Own. Yeah, yeah. No, fair play. See, I could have reeled off 10 documentaries. Yeah. When We Were Kings. I um, didn't ask one for a documentary. We'll do this. documentaries another day. <laughs> okay, here's something wonderful that I saw this week. Do you know how often you see, um, like, the little kids running the teams out, the mascots for the day? That Especially in soccer, they do a great job in European football, soccer, mm-hmm. round, round ball. ball game, um, when they often have each player has a little person standing in front of them. They're so excited and it's so lovely and there's always boys and girls there and everything. I saw something this week and, oh, my gosh, it warmed the cockles of my heart and I was like, yes, why not? Vera, who is 98, and Olga, who is 102, and they have been members of Man City for 85 years. Wow. Amazing. Were the game day mascots um, during the week and they walked out ahead of Man City and the photo of these two elderly ladies with their walking sticks, with their best finest dresses on, with the Man City um, strip over the top, <laughs> walking them out onto the field was so amazing and I thought – this is a game changer. Like, this is what needs to happen. Mm. I was recently in the room for the 50-year members um, of Carlton um, 
And there was people there who have been members of Carlton for like 72 years. And I was like, they need to be absolutely respected. The things that those people have had to live through, mm. um, it's the most amazing way to support your club is to buy a membership and to front up and to be there through thick and thin. Imagine what these women have seen through 85 years. Incredible. Imagine what it's taken for them to support that team for 85 years. It's absolutely extraordinary. And um, I posted it on our Instagram and I did see a couple of um, people from uh, from AFL clubs messaging each other. Um, saying, can we do this? We should look at this. This would be awesome. And I think it gives – it's not only something um, that gives – fans perspective and something to aim at to think imagine saying I have been a member of this club for 85 years or whatever but it's also a really beautiful way to just pay it back from the club mm. and everything always is about children yeah. most kids don't buy their own memberships no they? no good you point know? good point not a free ride mm. fake fans <laughs> let me see your 85 year membership scarf and then you can <laughs> run out through the banner anyway I loved it and I would love to see yeah, it in this gorgeous. game it's a beautiful way to honour and respect Respect your club. Um, we don't have a radio show this weekend because they've rudely put the prelim <laughs> on. Football game. I've scheduled instead, some just yeah. scheduled like the most important game of all time. <laughs> Um, during our radio show. So we are done for the radio for this portion of the year, but we'll be back for the AFLW season. But I just did want to give another shout-out. Is I saw a great photo that someone had gone up to the headstone, the memorial spot for Jim Steins in Ireland and put a um, demon scarf around the uh, plaque and the, and the um, stone that's there at, at, to mark his memory. And I just thought it was so beautiful mm. and it matters so much when these teams are playing that haven't played for a long time in finals and we saw this with Rich and and we heard the stories after the Bulldogs of people really reminiscing about what it would have meant to a lot of people who in the time since they were in the finals have died or left them and I just think it's the most heartwarming and beautiful way to remember someone and Jim of course is in would be in so many people's minds and um, yeah Mm. so if you're walking to the G, past his statue, give him a little give him a nod. Mm. How are you going, Stonzi? Yeah, that photo was gorgeous and it reminded me of those really beautiful photos which some of our listeners might have seen and if you haven't, you sh- definitely should Google them, of um, Chicago Cubs fans during the World Series when they won a couple of years ago and um, there was a particular photo of a guy who was who went and took a little uh, wireless radio to his father's grave and sat with him oh. with the wireless and listened to the game t- Listen to the the final game together and celebrated it with him and wore his Cubs gear. And it was just like the most extraordinary image, you know. It was absolutely beautiful. So I think, (laughs) so I think there'll be a bit of that this weekend, especially for the D's. So good luck to all of those listeners. But there's also some other footy on on the weekend, just Mm. quickly. So um, we mentioned earlier the VFL men's and women's finals are on in Melbourne at Dockland Stadium on Sunday. So the women's is Hawthorne versus Geelong. We have a little bit of a stake in yep. that one. We're a little biased, but I hope it's a great game and um, that Hawthorne wins, of course. But, <laughs> uh, we have we'll a little, be bit of too. a stake in the other one too. But the other one is Casey, um, the Casey Demons and Box Hill. And one of our listeners sent us an omen watch which suggested that if – if Casey wins the men's, then that points to the D's winning the AFL mm-hmm. men's too. So um, that's something that you should definitely keep an eye on and get around to that game if you can. There will, of course, be finals all around the country too. Mm. So if you're going to local footy finals in any other um, 
I was going to say jurisdiction because I felt like I was at work. <laughs> Any other jurisdiction. Or municipality. That's right. Um, please send us photos. Tweet yeah, us. Tweet us. We want to be able to wish you the very best of luck. That's what we want to be able to do. Um, any more final business, ladies? This has been a hilarious <laughs> pod, just the three of us. Should we just apologise now? Well, do you know what we I didn't do? Is we, we didn't apologise for the others why they're not here. Alicia oh, yeah. sometimes is out with long with a long term injury. Mm. <laughs> she hasn't. Been, I haven't seen her for months. She's she's going to be been okay. She's okay. But okay. Yeah, she'll, she'll be good to go next oh, week. Oh, I wasn't meaning to be alarmist. No. she's fine. She's <laughs> no. still on messenger. She's had a rough run. Felicity's out with an espanol. Yeah, <laughs> she's Felicity's in Spain holiday. Lucy we hate her. has <sighs> taken her love of Hamilton the musical to the next level <laughs> and, and gone to Ireland. Hamilton the island. Yeah. Look, I think. If nothing else, this pod this week has proved that we don't need them. Yeah. I think the three of us are good to go. Do you reckon? <laughs> yeah. I reckon I'm going to draw up the paperwork and give them the marching orders. <laughs> hey, I was thinking, do you want to – we can go out with a bit of audio. Someone did record us um, accepting the award last night and it's probably so self-indulgent. You don't have to listen to the bit where I'm Pretty saying gross. thank you. I was terrified, can I just say? You're so good. And I started, a bit drunk. I, started, I was a bit <laughs> drunk and I started patting the lectern because I was going, mm, soft, it's soft. I just look at Peggy. Oh, my God, Peggy's sitting next to Gil. Don't Clarko, look at Gil. Clarko, Clarko. Clarko. I'm going to have a heart attack. So um, I was. I had my polite voice on, which I hate. I hate my polite voice. I'm so sorry. But if you want to continue listening to this before we sign off. Um, this is the audio of us winning the award last night. Listen for the very end bit where you hear Brian Taylor <laughs> back announcing the Outer Sanctum, which is just like, Irony. oh, my God, that is my head exploding on a platter. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks again. Listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking with us. <laughs> and um, have a great prelim weekend. These prelims are yeah. just going to be amazing. Yeah, enjoy them. And I guess all we can say is thank you. And thank go you. Go footy. Go footy. A lot of people in this room have told us their stories and we also really appreciate that. Um, we would like to thank The Age for their early support of us and, of course, to the ABC for giving us a home that we love so much. A special shout-out, of course, to Tim Verrill and Nick Morris and to our homegirl, Tess Armstrong, who's the most extraordinary producer and tiger tough. Um, we'd also like to thank the Hawthorne Football Club and especially Tandy Galena for giving us an experience with the Hawthorne women's team that we dreamt about since we were very little, little girls. And we can't quite believe that we're seeing it. And we thank you so much for that. Um, we have been called the Fun Police and we hope that you know that we're not reporting on anything we see tonight. So kick your heels up and have a great night. Thanks very much. Best coverage of the AFLW media organisation, the Outer Sanctum podcast. Thank you, ladies.